All right. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, everyone. I'm extremely humbled, grateful, and honored that we have with us today. I believe for the third or perhaps fourth time that she's come back on the show, and she never ceases to amaze, whether it's with her work uh, speaking to something you know from two, three years ago, or new work that she's doing uh, with water, which... I mean, I don't even know where to start on my end, because as I interpret it, there are so many avenues this can go down. And I think Veda's work, uh, Miss Veda Austin's work is some of the most fundamental, vital, um, we could say, has some of the most fundamental elements that we could say the new world moving forward um, is going to be very uh, significant and playing a role in. So without further ado, uh, Veda, how are you doing today? And thank you so very much for coming on. I'm doing great. And thank you so much for having me again. It's always a pleasure, Dave. Amazing. So if you could just let um, my audience, particularly the members know uh, what you do, the work that you do, and if you'd be willing to share any of the uh, your hydroglyphs and all of that, I think uh, because last time you came on, your work really resonated with almost all of uh, of my audience, and they really, really enjoyed it. So I'm going to sort of take a, a back seat here if that's if that's all right. Oh, of course. Yeah, well, for anyone that doesn't know me, um, I am a water researcher. I specialize in crystallography, which is really just a fancy way of saying that I freeze uh, water at a very specific stage and photograph it. And it's quite interesting because my work has evolved so much since we last spoke. But um, just to put something into perspective, what I've observed uh, over the last 10 years of doing this now, is that water is not just reactive to consciousness and environment, but it appears to be responsive. And that is an incredibly uh, interesting thing because it goes against so much of what we've been taught about water. But when you look at ancient times, the way they looked at water and revered water was very different to what most of us think about water now, certainly not all. Even the word, the waters, in ancient times, water was called the waters. And when the um, Romans brought plumbing into being and people started to see waste being taken away with water, the word, the waters became water. And now we kind of reduced it to H2O, but the area where waters is still in our language is when we say her waters broke. So there's still a word relative to something sacred to do with water. But moving along, um, so so uh, I'm going to kind of just take you on a visual journey. I think that's a really nice way to understand my work because pictures speak a thousand words. I also teach my work. So now hundreds and th actually more thousands now people are um, doing this. So I think that's very, very helpful for people to see that other people can do it and it's not just me alone. So I was inspired by three people. Um, I'm kind of going to share a little bit about how I started, and then we're going to jump forward a little bit more to more sophisticated work that I'm doing now for the people that's already maybe seen me three or four times before. So I was inspired by three people to begin this work. The first person, most people have heard of him, Masaru Emoto. Um, he wasn't embraced by the scientific community because he um, openly shared that he cherry-picked his photos to share the best ones to display what he was trying to say about water. Nevertheless, he really opened the door for people to see themselves as sensitive bodies of water, sensitive to thoughts, sensitive to sound, sensitive to environment. 
the the second person and I'm, I'm, ass, I'm just assuming that everybody knows who Emoto was so he would just take flash fro, uh, flash frozen photos um, of ice after it had been exposed to usually something contrasting like the word love or the word hate and show his work was very much in contrast um then there's a man by the name of Laurent Costa he did the same kind of method as Emoto but he didn't want to experiment on water because he believed that water was a spiritual teacher and I'm pretty much in the same kind of boat as him uh, in that sense um so he was interesting because he would sometimes smile at the water before he would freeze it and he was actually rather than just seeing geometries like Emoto did and he was also looking through the microscope he was seeing happy faces he was seeing hearts he was seeing fish things like this and they were relative to something that had happened in his day so uh that was interesting to me because I think that art is a very sophisticated way of communicating and art is very sort of specific in some ways other than of course nature creates art but to humans you know if we look back at the way in which we would try to share concepts and places and things we were people were drawing on in caves so art is very unique to people and then the third person I'm going to show you photos of these so the third person was a man by the name of Thomas Hieronymus turns out Thomas was an really quite a genius um and he was working with um uh, certain types of energy waves and uh, which were, would be considered very sophisticated now anyway he went into a Parisian meat market and made a very unusual <laughs> observation he noticed that the freshly placed organs of an animal appeared to be affecting the way the frost froze on the glass behind where they were placed for example the um the frost would freeze into the shape of a liver organ above a liver organ and so on and so forth and his hypothesis was there seemed to be some kind of life force energy still emanating out of these organs even though they were no longer attached to an animal and he put that down to there being water in the blood and there is such a thing as sonic signatures of each organ and <clears throat> they're kind of like the cymatic imprint um for the, the shape and function of the organ and because the blood was very fresh he believed that the the this information was being held in the blood in the water of the blood and that that water was sharing information with the water in the air and the water in the air then when it hit the glass took the shape form and function of the organ or well, not the function but the shape and the form and and it was really interesting to me because firstly he was seeing it with his naked eye everything else was microscopic and his ideas were quite revolutionary to me at that time so as most people I'm sure have heard my, my very first um, attempt at doing this work really was the I took the photo that launched now 40,000 photographs of water responding in, in an intelligent manner and that number itself can't be ignored that's a, a great deal of photographs um so I had a petri dish of uh spring water I was going to project a thought into the water and I was going to freeze it 
as I was looking into the petri dish, there was a bit of fluff floating around in there. So I put my hand in to take out the fluff, consciously thinking, I wonder if my hand will have any impact on the water's memory. Because I didn't know if that was real, if it was even possible. I mean, I always encourage people to try things for themselves. And so I uh, put it into the freezer, the peas and broccoli, and forgot about it. And this was way back when I would completely freeze water solid. And I really haven't done that in nine years because I discovered something in a technique which is very short and it, and it's it's really quite incredible. But not to take away what I'm about to say. So um, I took it out a few hours later, held it up to the light and I took my very first photo. So I'm going to share that um, and let's move on. So. This is a Moto's work. As you can see, it's very much in contrast. Um, I do want to get into contrast if we have time, because I think it can be quite har harmful, not harmful, but difficult for some people. Um, because life is so much of, of in between. You know, we, we are a little addicted to seeing the best and the worst of things, but there's a lot of in between. And so one of the things that my son said when he saw Emoto's um, uh, music ones, where it, it was heavy metal versus classical music. And my, my son, he was pretty young at the time, and he said, well, not that young, I guess maybe 12. And, and he said, I think water hates me. And I'm like, why? <laughs> and he said, because I don't want to listen to classical music, and I don't really like heavy metal. I like Tupac, and he swears, and it suggests in Emoto's work that that water doesn't like swearing and so therefore water hates me and it's ruining all my water molecules and I was like oh my goodness no firstly I do not believe that water is in judgment I think there are two types of water in the body and it's confirmed with the word for spirit in Maori my dad is Maori the word for spirit in Maori is wairua it means two waters the physical and the spiritual waters I think the physical waters hydrate us. They have all of the different functions of the body that water does. But the spiritual water is more akin to the air or the ether. Um, and I think because we know so little about water, even though we think we know a lot, we really don't. Because um, no one can even decide exactly where it came from. Uh, whether it came from outer space, from meteorites or asteroids, or whether it came from the primary water size held within the ringwoodite of the Earth's mantle. Either way, um, there hasn't been a conclusive um, suggestion of exactly where water is seeded from. Um, so I think that that's quite interesting. But uh, so I started doing a lot of different genres of music, exposing water to lots of genres of music. And water I found was not judging. It, it seems to like to pick up on words. And that's actually how I found a lot of my hydroglyphs, which we're going to talk about soon, which is um, where I would play a song and I would see a, a specific symbol show up in the ice after playing it multiple times that seemed relative to the word, like Stairway to Heaven would create a stairway design over and over again. And to say I have one hydroglyph, which is what I call these symbols, I have to have seen it appear at least 50 times. So I'm getting ahead of myself, but this is Laurent's work. So as you can see, from we kind of go from geometries to art. And, and this will remark, but I know him personally. And I, I know that he is really one of the most dedicated people I know 
to to the love of water. He wrote a whole book called Journey into the Heart of Water, and he says the heart of water opens up to those that love it. He tried his very best to be the observer as much as he could, to invite water, whatever, to show whatever it wanted. But what was interesting with his work, of which I've also found, was that sometimes if he'd been thinking about something for over a week or something had happened that was specific, that something would kind of show up in water. So there was a time, I think he was saying that they were thinking of getting a goldfish and so they, him and his son, they'd been talking about it all week. And, uh, you know, this fish showed up in, in the ice. But it wasn't a specific influence. It was something they'd been just talking about. And I've had situations where where water almost seems to know what's going to happen before it happens. And I'm going to show you some photos and examples of that. This is Thomas, as I talked about. So he was a radionic engineer. Um, and he was one of... He and one of the first licensed radio operators in the US, actually. And he, like you might be actually, would you do some research on him? I'll send you some links. Um, he was really a very interesting man. Um, so we'll get to my work. Here's the first photo I ever took. As you can see, it looks kind of like an X-ray of my hand, which I, I find quite fascinating. Um, and over the time, I've done various different things with hands, so to see what water might do. So I think I've got some photos of those to show um, coming up. But here we have an, uh, something that I did with seawater. So after seeing the hand, I went to the ocean because I thought if any water is going to be naturally informed, it would be the sea. So I froze a thin layer of seawater then nervously sitting outside the freezer to see if I'd see anything relative to the ocean. And you can see here the fish and the eye and the gill and the fins and the tail. And seawater, as opposed to salt water, <clears throat> freezes quite differently. Seawater has a lot of other components in it. And I had collected it from quite close in to the beach. So it kind of feathers when it's completely frozen and it freezes quite differently than fresh water. Now, I've, I changed my technique about a year into doing this work. And I look back at my work now and I'm absolutely amazed that I got the kind of work that, that I did, like to see the hand, to see the fish, to see the other pictures that I took. Um, it's, it's really amazing because the new technique is so clear um, and there's so much light that comes through and it's almost three, well, it is three dimensional, certainly in some situations, that it's really amazing that that I got the the work I did. So as I became more familiar with the new science of water, the work of Dr. Gerald Pollock um, and many more, I realized that that this fourth phase of water outside of it being in our cells and our and, and I, I can talk about some of the qualities of that, but I'm sure I've talked about it before with you. Um, one of the things that he said is this fourth phase of water, this liquid solid gas, and then a type of gel or plasma. It's a very important stage, but it can be found in the freezing, but before it's frozen stage and the melting before it's liquid stage. And Veda, so I was could we call this the, Sorry, could we call this the in-between stage perhaps? I do call it the in-between. I also call it the state of creation. And there's a reasons why, because I also have discovered a lot about light to do with this, which we'll talk about. I have some photos about that. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so with 
with that whole idea of the in-between, I started to open my freezer to see the stage of um, freezing, like to see when is the ice starting to freeze? So when is the water starting to freeze and what's happening in there? After about five minutes, I noticed there was a liquid on top and an ice um, underneath. Oh, sorry, this is, these are just more photos for you to see while I'm talking. And so this, this kind of idea that there's all oh, these seems to be two stages of liquid in here of, of water sorry so there was this liquid and then there was this ice so I took the dish out I tipped the liquid away and I saw the crystallography and it was so clear and it was so so incredibly three-dimensional and I realized that over the course of time I've realized that there are three stages of freezing and the first freeze is the freeze that we want to get it at so these are just some more examples of um, of different kind of expressions of water identifying my hand. But you know what's interesting is that they do don't look like X-rays really. They look different. So we're seeing an artistic expression in every dish. So <clears throat> my freezing technique looks like this. When you look in the freezer, there's liquid and there's ice. So we want to tip the liquid away. These are the three stages of freezing that I mentioned. So this is when there's liquid and ice. This is when, this is an interesting one. This is when water is created like an ice sandwich and in between there is liquid. And then when you see all these, these kind of bubbles, then you see that it's overfrozen and it's a solid. And there's not nearly as much clarity as there is here. So it's a very, they're very different stages. And if you look more deeper and philosoph quite philosophically, you can almost akin them to the, the ice that forms here has virtually no solates at all. It's very, it's in its purest state. So it's almost like um, an energy or a spirit. Here you might say it's the in-between. It's more like maybe blood. And this would be more like the skin. So you've kind of put them all together. You've kind of got, you know, an embodiment. Um, this is, hopefully it will work, but if it, oh yeah, it will. So this is a video, a slow one, unfortunately, but um, I'll stop it and go into, I'll go into the faster version because that's uh, going to take forever to watch that. Um, okay, let's watch this one. Okay. So what we're going to see are the three stages of freezing, freezing sped up. Um, a gentleman that learned my technique managed to get a camera in the freezer and film it from beginning to end. You're going to see the first freeze. It's, it's just a little bit more sped up here. It makes it easier. So this is with no influence at all. I forget what kind of water he said he was using. But, you know, this is, you can see that there are structures. It's relatively easy to see. It's clear. Um, the next thing you're going to see is this kind of washing of all of this away. That's the second freeze. And from the top down, you're going to see dark bubbles coming down. That's the third freeze. It's, it looks like it's the second freeze because the bubbles look like they're on the top, but they're actually in between. And so it happens. Yeah, there we go. So we're going to see this washing away. And then we're going to see this dark bubbles coming down. And it's quite an a quick process it looks like it's quick here but the what I mean is that the first freeze is a very quick process these two take some time so this was taken over I think he said 40 minutes or 45 minutes and so 
when you see the difference between this and this, you can understand the kind of the reasons why I really like using the technique, because there is so much clarity that um, comes from that. So I'll go back to this one and um, share this. Okay, we'll move on from there. Um, these are the four main signature patterns that I've discovered in water. I can zoom in a little bit for you. So a signature pattern is a common common pattern that I've identified because I have used and looked at and at so many different types of waters. But um, this is the signature pattern of spring water, or water that's come from a very deep aquifer frozen within half an hour. Now, the time frame of freezing can make a difference um, because water, there's these, I call them um, star fern hexagons because that's kind of what they look like. Um, and we're going to talk about the hexagon very soon because it really is the, the original blueprint structure of water. Um, this is the signature pattern of rain. It looks like a fanning pattern with a curve. This is the signature pattern of water that's gone through a filter. So much, a lot of water has gone through filters. It has to, legally, to even get to our taps, it has to have come through some kind of filter. So we see the filter glyph um, or the filtered um, pattern quite often, um, especially with people that actually have uh, RO or various different like Berkeys and things like that. But it's any kind of filter, even a carbon filter, you can sometimes see these filtered patterns. And the last one is municipal tap water. Now it's quite interesting to look at municipal tap water, can compare it up here to the spring water. They appear to be completely unconnected. But if you look at how the hexagon degrades, it degrades in two ways. So the, it starts with this very tight, tightly packed, tightly formed star. The star begins to open up further and further and further, and it ends up becoming like this little hexagon shape with none of the fancy ferns. Well, I don't have the picture, but eventually this shape turns into a dot, much like that, that like a little one of these little dots here. Now, the other way that it changes and degrades is that this, this fern will actually come away. And then that fern will start to degrade. It will end up looking like grasses and then it'll end up looking like kind of a line. Well, that this pattern ends up being a line. So what you're left with is lines and dots. Those are lines and dots in the municipal tap water. So what we see for all different kinds of waters tend to come from all from the hexagon, variations of it. You know, you see these lines here, you can see the only one that's like really quite different are these compacted lines that come together like that. But it's, it's other than that, you can see variations of the hexagon and even lines, you know, you still see lines in water, you know, it can do that. But it's quite interesting because this gentleman gave me two versions of his spring water. One he'd filtered and one he was raw. And he knows that I like the raw one best, but he kind of didn't really think I'd be able to tell the difference. Well, I could taste the difference, but it showed up in the crystallography because the one that's gone through a filter showed the filter glyph. So 
I've discovered that water, if you will, communicates in three ways. You'll see a signature pattern, you'll see an artistic expression, or you'll see a hydroglyph. I've given small examples here. So um, we'll move on. Oh, that's, yeah, this is more about my technique. I, I think of it like a glue and glitter picture. The Up here you see, you know, you put the glue, then you sprinkle the glitter, and then you shake the glitter away. Well, this is a picture that I drew underneath. That's the glue is my conscious expression or my, I had to use my consciousness to design a picture. Uh, so I put the water on that picture for 30 seconds. Here it is in the freezer, freezing. Here is the design. So it kind of created a little design of the actual picture. And so the glue is your conscious expression. The first freeze is the, is the, um, glitter that's stuck to the glue and the potential water is the glitter that you tipped away if you tip the liquid water away um, when you're doing this work you can add and you put it into another petri dish you get a secondary layer of information so i wanted to see since water seemed to like to design in pictures if it could recognize faces so this is one of my iconic pictures she's my friend Wendy's become the face of water. I've actually got an exhibition in New Zealand right now um, where this one is featured. But I put my Petri dish of water on top of her photo for 30 seconds, remove and use my technique, and that was the image. But I wanted to see if it would do it with faces, not just photos, but even statues and like coins, faces on coins. And so here's a selection of different faces that water's designed. Um, over here is my friend Eagle from the water conference. Um, here we have Jupiter or Zeus, but you can see I've overfrozen it a bit, but you can still see the faces coming through. Over here, you can see the side of the Petri dish. So this face of Sadhguru is actually quite large. Um, this is a fresh sketch of a friend and, you know, water's made the design. This is uh, Laurent Costa who did the faces, the microscopic pictures um, of the faces and so he sent me his old photo of himself and asked if I could show it to water which which I did and here's a um, Roman coin so you know this is very interesting water's designing in a very artistic way this water was taken from the Waikato River which is my tribal water and you can see the the outline of the face but like this top knot of a hair being pulled back which is how the uh, the chiefs would wear their hair because in New Zealand, we have a very, especially within Maori culture, there's a very deep connection to the land and the water. And it's not considered to be a resource, but more like a relative. And that our ancestors flow through this water. And there's a saying that the health of the water reflects the health of the people. And there's a deep sense of responsibility. There was a, a tribe that was very affiliated with a specific bird here in New Zealand. And as that bird started to become extinct, there was the sense within the tribe that they too were becoming extinct because they felt one with that, that bird and the, all of nature. So here are some examples of my work. Um, over here is really, they, each one has a story. Um, so I'll, I'll try to share some of the stories as best that I can. So this, the doggy smelt, um, was smelling the water and the water just designed the most cute image of his nose. This was my old cat Jeeva. 
and uh, Jeeva used to participate in a lot of my work and he would stare at the water and get his paw and try and get something out of the water quite often. Um, so water designed him there um, and you can see various different um, imagery. But what you'll notice is this is art, right? Then we're not seeing photocopies, we're seeing artistic expression. And then each style is slightly different. You know, it's quite interesting because you start recognizing water styles over all of this time. There are certain styles that that some water has that others don't. It's it's something I'm beginning to write about and observe more and more just because I've done this so often. So um, as you'll notice, there'll be lots of different colors quite often coming through my work. It's because it's only, the ice is literally only a couple of millimeters thick. So it allows for light to come through. And I worked, at, I'm a researcher, as I like science, but I'm also an artist and I'm very artistic. And I, and I think that when you have science, art, and consciousness, or intuition, or spirituality, and they're able to overlay with one another, then you find a truth. And so I like to play with the different colors in the background, because I think it's fun, and I think that makes the the, the ice look even more beautiful. Um, so, you know, and, and I think that this is extremely telling, this picture over here because it is extremely rare for water to do anything that's got five sides, not six. It always shows us six. It's always showing us six sides in the hexagonal patterns. So for it to kind of leave one out, it's very unusual. Um, so you'll wonder maybe why some of um, Batman's there. Well, you know, what's great about being a mum of three is that I've actually been doing this work with them. They've grown up with me doing this. So a lot of the work isn't mine. It's my children's. And um, my son, sometimes he would go and he would sit on the couch, literally with a petri dish of water, watching a show and then freeze it. So that's kind of what happened with the Batman one. <laughs> um, so when, you, when we looked before, I was talking about my old and new technique. And I there was the hand and then there was something that looked like an arrowhead. So um, I, I'll whiz back to that really quickly um, because here, so my son Rama, he, his father's part Indian. And so he was named after Lord Rama um, in the Hindu Bible and Lord Rama always has a bow and arrow. So my son Rama, <laughs> uh, Rama the charmer, he uh, was trying to con me into, um, buying him a bow and arrow he said look I you know I need one mum I'm Rama after all and we were having a joke about it he said how about we do a deal if I can if I can do get an arrow in the ice will you get me a bow and arrow so he did the all of this he projected the thought of an arrow into the water he froze it himself he did the technique and he took the photo so I think it's really nice for people to see that that this is possible outside of me so we'll just get past back to where we were um and so move on to hear more examples and so there's there's a lot going on here this is quite helpful i've put this picture here just because 
I wanted to, you to see how much it looks like a ring. But the story behind it was that I was sent a wedding invitation. The most predominant word on the wedding invitation was marriage. And so um, what's been interesting is that when I use the word marriage, which is why I was inspired to start using the word marriage, I would see a ring. Now, the ring would always be a circle with and look kind of metallic. And I, that's how the ring hydroglyph developed. And so we know that when we see the ring hydroglyph, it has, it has a predominant meaning and a secondary layer of meaning. The predominant meaning is marriage. The secondary layer of meaning is um, sacred union. So, a bit, and, and for me to say I have a secondary layer of meaning means I have to have done it 50 times to have got that meaning. So this is why it's been five years of doing hydroglyphs, which I'm going to jump to in a minute, um, because they have the repeatability. It's taken me five years and I have only still got in the 30s of hydroglyphs. So, it, you know, it, it's just finding the layers of meaning of them it takes such a long time. And I have a small team of people around the world helping me find them. Um, so I, I use words. We're going to get into that soon, but I'm wanting you to see the complexity of the work to start with. So over here is an interesting one. I put my thumb in the water and <clears throat> water designed my thumb. But you might notice that there's a chip in the nail of the ice thumb of nail, if you will. But I chipped my nail three or four hours later after doing the test. And it's not the first time that water's shown me something that is more happening in the future, in the near future. It always seems to be in the near future so far anyway. For example, a friend oh, prior to that, I did, I did a study, a little study, um, where I was just kind of, and I, I actually do this a lot, where I just invite water to share whatever it wants, because I'm interested to know, rather than, I don't feel the need anymore to see if it can show me imagery that, that I'm showing it. So um, I just said, you know, show me anything. And, and that was my intention. And so water designed this obelisk shape. And I'm looking around the house saying, oh, I don't see any obelisks anywhere. That's really interesting. I don't know why I'm seeing that. And then a few hours later, a friend of mine, she came over and she had gone to the crystal shop and she'd bought this crystal, which is in the shape of an obelisk. And she said, have you ever seen anything quite like this? And I'm saying, well, actually, and I showed her the picture and she was really surprised because, you know, that, that it was really uncanny. So three or four, five, six hour period of time has been a kind of common thing now, more and more and more, the more I invite water to share things with me. Um, so let me move on. Oh, this is rather remarkable. So for people that are new, this might seem a little even out there, but for people that are more open or maybe seen my work more, um, this is some of the stuff I haven't, some, maybe not people haven't seen. So it's where water is actually designing words, actual words in the ice. And so um, uh, we'll work, move on to that if I can get it to do it. There we go. So I'll explain what's happening here and what you're seeing. So here we see the word fly. I played the song Fly Me to the Moon by Frank Sinatra. And it designed fly. Over here, I was um, using the word love. And you can see the word love. 
Here I said hi to the water. I've said hi to the water a lot. I see hi. Even actually people that I'm teaching, I have a private Facebook group of people that are doing actively doing this work and they've seen hi after saying hi quite often as well. So it isn't, it's, it's an interesting one. Actually one lady, she just shared, I just, it's on my stories right now on Instagram where she's new to the work and she's just starting to learn and she got the word try in the, in the ice keep trying you know so it's quite interesting water was like egging her on over here I asked water if it knew my name now I didn't show water this design this is how I write my initials so when water designed the VA like that it was really quite surprising um and I've repeated that and those pet repeated pet pictures are going to be in my new book but over here I said to the water do you know my Indian names because I have my name Veda is an Indian name, but my middle name is Karan, which is Arjuna's brother's name. My mother didn't know anything really much about the Vedas when she named me. So I have these two given Indian names. And so uh, so here we have the VK instead of the VA. And it almost looks like, well, it does look like Hindi with the line and the things over here. I would love to find someone Actually, I have a few friends in the Indian community I might send that to and see if we can try to see if it actually says something, which would be, that would be amazing. Um, so, I'm sorry. So I'm not the only one. So these are all images from other people. So, um, and they vary between adults and children. Now, um, this little boy was really obsessed with um, tarantulas. So, he um he used this picture of a tarantula and he got his own little tarantula picture um this child was doing a study on big cats and so used this photo as the influence this one was an interesting one because the little girl she had a pet mouse and she or the pet mouse had some water to drink and so she used some of the mouse's water and it designed the mouse um, this was from uh, a lady, Laura, who works at Dr. Pollock's lab, actually, and she's she's frozen this one solid. You know, she didn't, this was, she knew about me when this first began, but she still got I am imagery because she put it beside a bowl of apples. And so it designed the clear apple, and you can see how large it is. Um, the images vary from very large to kind of smaller, so they, they do vary in size. Um, why would anybody want to do anything about nail clippers? Well, this is from my friend, um, John. And what's really interesting about John's work is that he actually freezes this outside and he watches it freeze outside, which, which takes away any possibility of it being some way that the freezer blows or does something right. And so the, um, so when he was outside, he had his nail clippers beside the Petri dish and water froze into the uh, nail clippers. So this keeps going on, right? So we keep seeing it and keep seeing it. And so um, I love this dog one, actually. It might not be obvious until you zoom in, but you can see his nose, his face, the, even the pattern of the black marking. That was the same dog. They actually wrote his name. And that was the influence, not the picture. But they, I wanted you to see the dog so you can understand how clear. And there is paws down here. So the name um, and not the picture in this case. Yeah. His name was Ruse. 
I think they, they're from somewhere in Europe, R-O-O-S. If, if I may ask, Veda, do you think perhaps, just speculating here, that water is perhaps tapping some type of uh, non-material database, if you will, in these cases? It's an interesting uh, idea that you say the non-material. Because I, I think I, I'm, the more I study about Genady Krokolev and the people who inspired him, they call it like they actually are suggesting that it's a subtle material environment. So, so that's quite an interesting, and I don't know whether it's this, I don't know. The more I said, I'm going to talk about him because he's, I'm fascinated with Genity. So um, we're going to get to that. I don't want to, I, I will talk about that. And it's, I think I'll answer that when we talk about his work to the best of my ability anyway. So the significance of light. So I had a, I was the last speaker at the annual water conference last year in Germany that doc, Dr. Jerry Pollack puts on. And I he put me at the end and at the conference, at the, um, oh, what's it called, at the banquet. And so I was talking to a bunch of scientists and physicists and, you know, biologists and um, doctors about something that came from an indigenous person. And and yet I and and this was this this made so many aha moments for a lot of people. So she said she could speak to bees, and so she said she would watch their hives for long periods of time. And she said eventually a bee came to her and communicated, please don't look at our hive for so long. We we don't mind you looking at us, but don't look at it for so long because your conscious expression is putting too much light into our hive and we like it to be darker. So where we put our conscious expression is where we put our light. Now, what you might notice is there are these halos that are kind of coming out of these ice shoots here. Now, every now and then I can, if I get my timing perfect, and, and a lady in my private Facebook group did just the other day, she posted it. Um, it's So you'll see this kind of light halo coming out of the ice, just as water is starting to form. Now, what's so interesting about watching it and seeing it, and I've seen it with my naked eye as well, is that it literally does look like a halo and or like a light energy emanating out and so water is not just um oxygen um you know and hydrogen it's also photons it absorbs so many photons so it's got a light source so i actually think it's light that paves the way for the design of the crystallography so light is the thing that is the designer and it's and it's, it's as water uses its building blocks of ice to follow suit. So it's it's a, it's a very interesting one when you start trying to figure out how is this working? What is the connection between conscious intention and thought and water? And the two are so intimately intertwined. So Dave and I have been working on a project together. He's written a segment in my new book, which is coming up. But I did want to share about this because I think that it's very important. Um, so when I've used a sunflower seed, put the sunflower seed in water, then removed it and then froze it, it didn't design the seed, it designed the sunflower. But when I used an empty shell, it only showed the shell in the empty shell of a pistachio. And 
I have quite a number of these which I'm putting together where if the information is available, like in seeds, the water picks up the information and shares it as a full picture. And then the, this kind of can come into the idea of, of phantom limbs and things like that. Why is it that people who um, who, have, who have their arm amp amputated have the sense that it's still there? And I think in some ways there is that idea that the the subtle body is still existing within the realm except that and we can have we still are connected to it it's it's an interesting idea and i think it's very real um and like you said dave in quantum mechanics this is called potentials or virtual particles which act as a blueprint for future growth um some of these i'm going to go through through I'm, I might not go up to all I so wisdom what I'm saying is that I'm going to whiz through some of the others but I do want to talk about Genady so there was this guy called Pierre Boucher I'm probably botching that but 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 anyway yeah, I'm doing my best and he accidentally took photos of mind a mind made image so this was well, this was back in 1880 at just as they were starting to figure out how to make photographs and they used to make old-fashioned photographs using like um you know developing them in water and here's what's really interesting about this is that he had had a rip-roaring hell of a night partying I guess he might have done I don't know what he'd done and he 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 had been having some really terrible nightmares and he and he was just feeling horrible and he had to wake up early in the morning because he'd taken port he would take portraits of people. And so he had he was going to his lab to develop these photos. And um and so he was feeling really horrible and he had this kind of noise in his head. And it's always in a you know, in a dark room where you develop these photos. And so he started cutting kind of having a bit of a hallucination and he started to see the kind of personal creature that was in his nightmare and he started to have like a vision and seeing this person or this creature and at the same time he's having this sort of vision which is very scary he was also developing this the the um photo and rather than the photo develop into the picture of the person of his his client it developed into the creature he was seeing and so this was like pretty scary stuff. And what's really interesting, I'm so grateful. I, I recently just did a, a lot of in-person talk in New Zealand with a bunch of locals. And right around the corner, there is a Russian woman. And she was able to come over yesterday and translate a whole heap of really impossible hard to find stuff about not only Genity, but um, who I'm going to talk about in a minute, but um, but about this Russian physicist and his discoveries and why he hypothesized that the retina of the eye could be photographed to be able to see imagery. Because when we went through this issue, this um, this, mag this magazine, this man, um, Surlatov, he had written um, a, a paper called See the Other Way Around. And it can also mean like an upside down way of thinking. So he hypothesized that visual hallucinations could be photographed. And so what's so interesting is that 
it starts out this article starts out that they and it's it's really like a horror movie but it start and starts out this uh detective um is standing over a someone who is a dead body they found outside and it's a stormy night there's a big electrical storm and they're talking and they're wondering whether or not the guy was killed by lightning or not or if something else had happened something bad had happened to him they're trying to figure it out at, at the scene of the crime or not they don't know the the detective shines the torch light onto the eyes of the dead person then the eyes are still open and he immediately this is from my remembering of what she's translated yesterday and and then he jumps back in fright the 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 policeman and he tells all of the people look 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 he's shining the torch into the dead person's eyes and for just a few seconds they see a angry scary face in the eyes of the dead person and then it disappears and so then it goes into a lot more of the science about how this is possible so that's that article inspired genady krokolev's brother to give him genady himself the article now who is genady he is a scientist he's also a psychiatrist and he worked um with uh patients that were having hallucinations and so he was inspired to try this for himself to photograph their retinas as they were having a hallucination so um what he did was he made this makeshift kind of camera that looked like this so it so the goggles were the makeshift part this was called a zenith camera it has this kind of box thing coming out and this is actually genity working with a patient we even found this Russian lady because she speaks Russian and was able to look for it. We found a whole document, like video with Genity talking. And what he's saying is amazing. He's just, he's, they're saying, well, why, why are you even then not like being fully embraced? Why isn't this worldwide known? And he says, I'm because I'm telling people things that are true, that that larger governments don't want people to know and um and so then that leads also down to his his demise of where he apparently killed himself um but three hours prior to that he was enthusiastically saying to his brother that he'd just come across something that would change the world so just to clarify before we go on he had come across something that he said on the telephone to his brother that he claimed could change the world and then a handful of hours later he was found allegedly in a state you deceased but allegedly had uh, committed suicide and unfortunately during this time period that was common for scientists that wouldn't uh, uh you know uh, conform if you will yeah. yeah yeah very very sad um so anyway what he did he did this whole process and he did this with um 250 patients and what was amazing is that 117 of them after receiving the pictures of their visual hallucinations confirmed the similarities and I and and it is so hard to find any of Genady's photos um I haven't added had time to add any more of them in here but because of my Russian friend we actually found a few more last night which was really helpful and she was able to translate what the titles were for me 
Um, so there were two horror movies based off Krokolev's work, actually, called Call and Bell. So here are some of his uh, images. There were three. This says snake. This is um, the, a picture of a, a, a man's face. Um, and this is antlers. I thought it was a tree, but it says it's antlers. Now, a lot of his work was disappeared or was made classified surprisingly. Now, this was repeated in the last 15 years by Russian scientists, and except rather than using um, rather than using psychiatric patients, they used someone who could remote view. And so the scientists would stand behind a wall and hold up numbers or shapes. And as the remote viewer tuned in in her mind's eye, then they would take the photos and here are a couple of examples so they used the same kind of camera but they um, used a scuba diving mask instead they found it without the lens obviously and they found it to be more helpful and um, it, after reading more articles apparently there was even like this this was done so regularly it became like a kind of sideshow thing that was done in between from from you know 1900 up like this has actually been around for a while and it was kind of considered like a magic trick but actually it's very real and it's um been repeated and so these scientists put a um documentary together and I, they called it something like thought is material but they called it a subtle material environment and and so that's kind of where um why why I wanted to talk about it after the question you asked because it can be photographed and so they there were two hypotheses that either there is a secondary layer of information or a layer of a layer of consciousness which which I think Genity was more akin to think that that was a truth that maybe there really is another realm that we just don't see or and the brain thoughts literally create information the information's translated to the retina which is mostly water the retina and it's also the retina has a huge amount of dmt within it and then um and then the um and then the information in the retina is translated as an image which is pushed out like a hologram that can be photographed and because we're so much light and I always say if eyes are the windows to the soul then tears are an expression of spirit but through the eyes comes light then then this is extremely interesting because it's sort of suggesting we're almost walking around with videos <laughs> kind of like of anything we're like if I could if I could jump in very quickly this also to me personally I could be wrong but this reminds me of two things particularly Plato's concept of things must begin in the metaphysical that then become physical as well as Plato's allegory of the cave as you you described eloquently in your own way as well Thank you. Yeah. Um, apparently, the, in the video, um, in that documentary from these scientists, um, Tesla also said that the eyes can not only take in light, but project light and not only take in visions, sorry, but project visions. Um, 
which is very interesting. Tesla, I don't know if you know, he was obsessed with pigeons. Did you know? Yes. He was, yeah. And so one pigeon came to his window before it was dying. And he, and he talks about it. And, and he said that that pigeon had more light coming out of its eyes than anything he'd ever seen in his whole life. I so again, you. eyes and light. So I think one of the most important things that I'm talking about is here with my work is like, what are we looking at in the crystallography? What is it showing us? So I call it an energetic state of health. Um, so here we have tap water, a signature pattern of tap water. Here I've let that tap water melt, held it to my heart for one minute, and then let it refree and then refroze it. And you can see that it's changed so structurally, but it hasn't changed chemically. So if it hasn't changed chemically and it's only changed structurally, what is it that we're actually seeing? And I think what we're seeing and is an energetic state of health, which is very akin to a human emotion. So here are some examples of tap water where I have let it melt and then given it love and gratitude by either holding it to my heart or projecting it. And you can see how it's changed significantly. So again, more tap water that has changed by various influences. The left one too, uh, from a singing bowl, the one other ones from filtering water through silk. Now I'm gonna fast forward some of these because um, really because I wanna to get to hydroglyphs and I know we have limited time and I can literally speak for 12 hours solid. You've seen me do it, Dave, you know I can do it. <laughs> so I won't, I won't do that I have yes uh, and it's never a dull moment by the way yes. <laughs> thanks um but I do I do like these two so what happens if I'm angry rather than you know the water doesn't work in the vibration of anger and frustration it thickens actually and kind of becomes more compact and darkens if I'm sad, these were not done because I was projecting a feeling of sad. I was doing crystallography and genuinely sad. Both times, water's designed sad faces. So I often feel like I'm, you know, working with somebody who actually sees me. <laughs> kind of feels like that, you know. Um, so this is about bodily fluids. I'm going to kind of whiz through this a bit because I want to get to hydroglyphs. But saliva is a really interesting one. Um, and I've done studies where I've spat into a Petri dish and then fro frozen it. And you'll see that usually bubbles will form. And on the top of the bubbles, there's often an image or a picture or a sign of some kind. And it's often relative to the last word or sentence that you spoke. So for example, here's a stamped number eight. And I was talking about the number eight before I um, spat into a dish. And this really brings us into this idea of blessing or being grateful for what we eat or drink before we eat or drink it. Um, a woman can tell us she's fertile by spitting onto a glass, a, a glass slide, letting that saliva freeze, and then using a magnifying glass and seeing whether or not there's this ferning or not. And that can tell if she's she's fertile or not it's been around a long 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 time this this um ovulation predicting way um and so urine it's a bit fun but urine can tell us a lot about ourselves it's been through our body so um you know here we have uh urine from someone who had a thyroid issue 
And then after um, IV ozone, you can see it started to come back alive. Um, this is a stressed person. This is an hour after meditation. This is a dehydrated person after some, the same person's had some really good quality water. Tears um, is an interesting one. This lady did a bunch of microscopic pictures of tears. Um, these are all emotional tears. These are chemical tears. They're quite different. Same here. When I've used um, cut onions and had chemical tears, water showed my iris. But other emotional tears show very different patterns. So I think that's quite interesting. Um, now I, so we might whiz through some of these. This is this is cool. Well, this is now this is a cool picture, right? I know it's a breast, but I asked water. I just used the word milk, but rather than show me like a cow or something, it showed a human. Incredible! Um, that's that's incredible. This is breast milk. This is really beautiful, and it looks a lot like egg albumin. And um, so this is about wairua. The wairua means um, spirit, the two waters, the spiritual and the um, physical. I think of them like the participant and the observer. So I think the spiritual aspect of water is more the observer. Um, that's more like distilled water. It doesn't have the minerals and salts in it. So it's really only watching rather than participating, which is why I don't see as much imagery in distilled water. The water from a spring has a lot of dissolved minerals in it, for example. So it has the it has both. It's able, like us, we can observe ourselves and we can also store and hold memories and participate. So that's interesting. So I, I think I've talked about my my mum and things like that before. Um, so this was me and my mum. My mum was just my best friend. And um when but she died in 1999 and I used to live in Japan and um mum and I would write letters to each other and at the end of every letter mum would make some attempt at drawing a circle and that, her circles were terrible and and then she would do a little heart in the middle and so I was missing her and I asked what if it could connect to my mum and this was the photo that I got straight away a misshapen circle with a heart in the middle and then a year later on her birthday, I asked the same question and I got the same response. And I think that water is the bridge between realms. In fact, I think it's even the bridge. You know, you talk about the veil. There's this idea of a misty veil. Well, mist is water too. There are so many different, so many, so many different um, layers to water. When we have identified four different stages but within those four stages there's over 300 different types of ice each type of ice has its own subtlety so i think the stage of water in the air and is, is a very interesting one i think that there's there's a lot more to learn yet if i may say as well interaction with not only air but a combination with certain plasmas as well i find very very interesting there's a new zealand guy that wrote a book all about plasma and um being like what everything is made of i can't remember what his name what the book was called um someone just recommended it to me and so i, th I think that that's an interesting idea 
It, it certainly doesn't surprise me. It makes me think of what you've been discussing here, that third or fourth phase, if you will, uh, plasma being perhaps a facilitator or window between the material and non-material. Uh, just, a, just a theory. Yeah, no, I, I think it is. Um, I like I like this because there was an um, Instagram reel going around, and this is what it said. I'm not suggesting that water is God, but I'm suggesting that it's the ideas are really interesting, you know. So I'm interested in a lot of different ideas. So the real says, well, that would mean that God is in us and all around us, above us and below us. It would explain why a woman's water breaks when we're born and why some religions observe the ritual of baptism. If water was God, then that would mean that God has no gender. God takes the shape of the container God appears in, which would explain why we have so many different belief systems. It would mean that all bodies of water were holy, that a thunderstorm is a church without walls, that when the rain falls, it's an act of God's death giving life, and when it evaporates again, it's the day of resurrection. So I think that that is a really interesting idea. Um, let's go on. Transference, well, you, I'm sure that you've heard of Luke, I know you have, Dave, but of Luke Montenegro and his DNA teleportation, where he had a vial of, um, a, what is this, a test tube of DNA, and then another one with nothing in it. They were left side by side, um, exposed to a low Hertz frequency of seven, and, um, and also ambient light. The next day, what he found was there were um, DNA strands in the empty water. And if that... I'm not mistaken, the scientific community freaked out, not because he was wrong, but because they didn't know what to do with his results. Absolutely. Yeah. And and poor Luke, I mean, you know, he is a very serious scientist, won a Nobel Peace Prize for discovering AIDS. And like I actually met him in 2019 and he is very serious into this. And I think that that's one of the hard parts for a lot of the scientific community that are interested in studying water. They they have such a hard time because the the, the a lot of the mainstream science they just don't want to touch it. They don't like it because a lot of it seems quite magical or or quite far out. Right. Um, but I think that actually, it, it, you know, I I know a lot of them. And right. these people are so serious and so, so methodical in what they do. If, um, I, if, if I may say very quickly, the only certain cases I've seen, whether it's with water or in other fields of science, where there was some validity in the past decades of any of this coming to light, say certain articles would be written. And at most, unfortunately, mainstream science would just say, well, the results are inconclusive. And I find that respectfully, I find that appalling because if it's been repeated and repeatable one how could one say it's inconclusive it doesn't anyways you know i i, I know <laughs> um so you know in, i don't know how many women are watching but um a lot of the events i've spoken at women can usually attest to the fact that if they're hanging out together or living together for periods of time their menstrual cycles will sit will sink and this also happens with rats and hamsters and chimpanzees and golden tamarins. Um, so this is a, a sign that our waters are communicating with each other. And, and there are millions of women over centuries that talk about this, uh, but science still thinks there's not enough evidence to support it. Um, 
this is mold molding to consciousness. I think it's an extremely interesting aspect whereby um, uh, I go into schools and I teach a mix of um, art and water science um, and to young children around between the ages of eight and 12. And it was interesting because um, each I give each child a paper cup of water which they sip from to inform the water and then they project a thought of that water and write what they're thinking about on the cup along with their name and then I take it all home and then normally I would just do the crystallography and give the pictures back to the children but it, the next day my daughter was sick with a cold and she stayed home for a couple of days um, and it was a week before I like got back to doing all the freezing samples but there were three samples, one including my daughter's, that had mold growing on the surface of the water. But what was really amazing was that the mold had actually taken the shape of the child's thought. So this is my daughter's one. She had projected the thought of a happy face. The second one, the person, the child had projected the thought of a dragon. And the other one that I can't find, it was um, the thought of a hippo, I think, and it looked like a hippo. But, you know, this is really interesting because after speaking to the teacher, I discovered that the other two children, the ones that the mold had grown on their sample, that had been they'd also been absent from school because they'd been sick as well. And the three children had all been sick with the same thing. So the mold had only grown in the samples of the sick children, even though they seemed well on the day of the project and only shown symptoms the next day. So um, you can find my homeopathy study and my sugar study um, on my Instagram and my Facebook. So this is my study on um, egg white. I think it's a nice, it's nice, but I don't know if I'll, I'll, sh I'll just whiz through it and then we'll look at hydroglyphs and then we'll end because I know you've got to go, I got to go. So um, I've discovered and I, I believe that I'm, the first person actually that's discovered it because I've been teaching as some scientific communities about this. So it's really raining and it's quite stormy in New Zealand. Um, fresh free range eggs, bird eggs, form six identified patterns that I've named and they're here. So um, the two most rudimentary are the pollen and the small star. Caged hen eggs only can form the pollen and star designs. They don't um, design the rest of them. Sometimes they don't even form any of them like as in here. So this is the difference between a free range egg and a um, cage 10 egg. Now the albumin is the egg white, but there's two parts to the egg white, the gloopy gelatinous part, and then a thinner, more runny part. That's the part that I freeze. So, um, I was curious to see after looking at Luke's work whether or not um, a cage ten egg would be influenced by a free range egg or the other way around. So um, what I discovered was really interesting. So these are my controls, and they um, use the same batch of eggs for for each one. Um, for, for each study, I use the same batch. So these are this is the way I put it together. The free range egg in the middle and the caged egg eggs placed in this um, order. So this is the result for the first one. The um, if we zoom in, we can see the beautiful free range egg still looks the same. 
but you might notice that the caged hen eggs have all improved to look like these two look just like free range eggs. The ones further away have improved, but not as much. <coughs> so we see this kind of healing by proximity. Um, here are my other two controls for my second one. Here is the result, and you can see it's virtually the same. You can see again beautiful um, kind of volcano patterns in in the free range egg, but you can see these have really all significantly improved, and um, but the ones further away not so much. So um, I think that nature is looking to improve rather than downgrade, especially in this embryonic stage. I've always thought that. Um, that amniotic fluid is the way in which ancestral information is shared. I also think that um, information transfer is possible because water, water is a type of liquid antenna and egg albumin is 90% water. And that none of these were fertilized. It's fascinating that information was still transferred, suggesting that the potential for life was there from the beginning. And so my personal takeaway from this is that if we heal ourselves, we heal others by molecular count, not by volume, we're 99% water. There are more water molecules in our bodies than stars in the Milky Way. I like bio, um, um, uh, come to me, what's, what's it called, you know, um, biomimicry. And so um, you can see here is chicken feathers, here are the, the egg albumin. Um, this is the egg albumin, this is the feathers, this is um, brain coral, this is egg, this looks like a flower, this is the, um, yeah, it's all relative, this is a horse here, this is egg, this is um, star anise, this is egg, these are limpet shells, this is egg, brain coral, and um, egg, and egg, and sunflower. Really interesting how there's things that look like things in there, um, this was a fascinating study. We don't really have time to get into it, but basically, um, this, this guy did an experiment where he used chickens, got the chickens to bond with this robot that was, um, able to kind of move around and with a little pencil at the bottom and it just randomly moved. And so it would randomly move over this piece of paper like this, but when it bonded with the chickens, the chicken's love literally pulled it to the end where the chickens were. So wherever the chickens were, the robot would stay near the chickens. When they introduced rabbits and the rabbits were scared of the robot, the robot did random things again. When they put a light on top of the robot and the rabbits wanted to see the light in the dark, they literally pulled the robot towards them. Um, this is where I've seen that if you put tap water, you put it next to spring water overnight, the tap water improves and even the spring water improves. Um, hydroglyphs. Okay, so I think of hydroglyphs, hydroglyphs as a 3D emotional language. The picture you see here is the hydroglyph for the energy of the word creation. It also has a secondary layer of meaning of fire. Now I've talked about how I get these, so I use words, and they a lot of them stemmed from songs. So I've talked about how I originally found the first hydroglyph by repeating the word the song "Stairway to Heaven," and then thinking, I wonder if it means stairway because I kept seeing these stairways, and then writing the word stairway, 
and then putting my dish of water on top of the word, removing it, freezing it, using my technique and seeing the stairway. And I did it over a period of months and use, and I would always see the stairway and I, I saw it over 50 times. And then I thought, well, what do you do with a stairway that's relative to the song? And so I write the words climb up and I got the stairway. Now, when I wrote the words climb down, it didn't work. So it was kind of interesting. Down here, we discovered um, the ring glyph. And I've talked about that. I also discovered the ring glyph not only by the um, wedding invitation to understand that it meant marriage, but also, um, you know, it's quite interesting. But when I uh, used the song um, by, what is her name? I'm not, I'm not going to to scare you with my singing so but she 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 sang a song called if you like it then you should have put a ring on it and Beyonce and um we'd always see a ring show up so that was kind of interesting as well but because of the wedding invitation one we started to I started to use the word marriage and the use word sacred union um so my daughter wanted me to use the word magic and so here's quite interesting. So we've seen, okay, we know that the word magic looks like a magic wand, but also when she drew a picture of herself holding a magic wand, you see that the water's designed her hand holding the wand. <clears throat> so it's interesting because this is 64 examples of what we would call the coin glyph, which has the energy of the word money and a secondary layer of meaning of the word abundance. Now, it's interesting if you think about why a coin, because we've been flicking coins into wishing wells since goodness only knows how long. When in ancient Roman and Greek times, they would put coins on the eyes of the deceased so that they could pay the ferryman to take them across the river to Hades. And once they get to Hades, there were a variety of rivers. Two of those rivers were the river of remembering and the river of forgetfulness. And so... That was always interesting to me. The ones who who were often um, more prepared uh, would drink from the river of remembering and were often sent back to become like um, seers and people who were like prophets or saints and things like that who, who were given gifts of being able to see the past, present and future. Um, but one lady said, well, why would water want to show money? Because money's the root of all evil. And I said, well, <clears throat> you know, this is a language and, and trade is something humans have been doing since for a very, very long time. So, you know, money can be beads, it can be shells, it can be all kinds of things. And if it's a language, we can't just pick and choose the words we like and we don't like. So I, I, I think also, for example, if I hold my glasses up and I say, these are my glasses, Nobody's very interested. <laughs> but if I say this is the energy of my glasses, it brings about a different way of looking at my glasses. My glasses fit the shape of my face. They give me uh, better vision. You know, they have a certain energy about them because my energy is in them because I wear them a lot. Things like this. So when we look at what is the energy of money, it invites us to know, do we know our own worth? Do we have a relationship with the energy of money? If we even think about it, is, 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 is money energy that we can count? You know, there's a lot of different ways we can look at it. Uh, also, interestingly, money um, the money glyph shows up when a, a lot in water that's been bought. 
So it's like water seems to know when it's been bought. So that's kind of interesting. Um, okay, so I just saw your little reminder there. Thank you. Um, this is the hydroglyph for light. Um, this is the hydroglyph for message. Um, when there's the message at the tip, there's either a little heart or it's it's there's no um, tip at all. So it's just like a plain tip. So we know when there is a heart there, we know it's a loving message. Um, this means uh, change and winter. This means information. This means purity and enlightenment. And uh, this is a really nice, maybe a nice way to, to kind of end it, where we have the tree of life. The tree of life has three, sometimes has three glyphs within it. These two ogles are the lung glyph, which means breath or breathe. The tree of life means whole. So this right here means whole breath. But if you look on the at it sideways, these then become the two lotus glyphs, which are over here. A lotus glyph looks like this. Okay, so when we move on, we can see there's on the side two lotus glyphs. So when you put it all together, that would then mean pure whole breath. And this is the lung glyphs here, just so we know what I was talking about, put into perspective. And when I asked water, what is a hydroglyph? It answered me in hydroglyphs. It gave me the living and the message glyph. So they are living messages. Uh, well, first off, let me say I'm, I'm very speechless at this point, just because my mind is racing in about five or six million different ways. And I'm sure that the audience, whether they're listening or watching to this, uh, are experiencing that same uh, uh, concept or thought as well. And their own personal connections to everything you've presented here in the last hour and a half, that things that perhaps yourself or myself uh, haven't even, you know, thought of or correlated perhaps. And that's why I think your work is, dare I say, infinite in, in terms of the capabilities that it has. So I am so, so grateful, Veda, for, for your coming on. And before you go, if you could please tell my audience uh, where and how you could be found uh, about your upcoming uh, masterclass, which is, uh, I presented it at the previous one, a beautiful, beautiful community of people, I must say. And um, if you could just let everyone know uh, where and how you could be found. Sure. Um, my website is my name, vedaaustin.com. Um, and you can get to my Instagram, Facebook links from there. But Instagram is Veda Austin underscore water and uh, Facebook is Veda Austin at water researcher and my next masterclass I'm very very much looking forward to I almost I think I made it for myself because <laughs> <laughs> there is it's a three-day event it's recorded so if the time zones don't work for you you get everyone gets the recording of the three days afterwards right. the topic is um, what different religions, cultures, and ancient texts can teach us about water. We have 26 speakers from around the world, all the way from Jerusalem, South America, um, New Zealand. Uh, we have um, Peru, like all, all kinds of places. And the speakers are from, from just, are just incredible. Like I have this one guy, Puma, that a lot of people asked me to get him on to speak. He was struck by lightning at six years old and became an Andean priest. And he has some really unique insights from a kind of, from a very unique perspective about water. Um, I have Olga, who is a Russian, 
and she um, is talking about things that a lot of people, certainly that are not familiar with Russian legends, would I had never heard of. Apparently, they there's these there's these legends that talk a lot about different types of water, and the heroes in the legends would use dead water for a reason. Dead water isn't dead. There is a there is a use for it. Right, right. I don't think water dies. I think water is always always in its one of its stages. But it, in their translation, they actually have it has a purpose and it has some kind of magical properties. And living water has a magical property as well. And so she's talking about things that we've probably a lot of us would never have heard of. Um, we have a lady who is on her way to becoming a druid. There's three steps to druidry that I didn't know about. Um, so she's coming in from Portugal. We have this uh, a couple of a few a couple of Christians talking about water in in its references to the Bible, and it's and also somebody um, this lovely um, reverend and she is talking about when she was baptized. She said that she was baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and the woman who created them all, which is really an interesting one. She talks about a woman who was not, didn't make her way into the Bible, but she baptized herself. And so she's talking about things that you wouldn't expect a, a Baptist minister to talk about, and she is. Um, we, I have a, a Catholic nun who is 75, was around when they wore the habits, you know, right. and Sister Catherine, she's become a friend of mine. We 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 actually talk quite regularly, and she's unlike any Catholic nun you've ever heard of before. Um, and she talks about religions like boats, ships. You know, she said that um, they get you onto the um, onto the ocean of God, so you get to feel all the aspects of how God feels and who God is. And then she said, but the boats, some of them can be like battleships and some of them are like canoes. She said, but it's up to us to, to be prepared to learn to jump into the ocean. She studied shamanism and went and worked with the American Indians. And like, so she's unlike any nun you've ever met. And so, so I think that that's really, really nice to hear things from different perspectives like that. We have um, a Maori lady talking about... Um, her perspectives, the Maori perspective of water. Uh, and we have a lovely Muslim guy who also studies quantum physics, so you'll really like him. Um, and he's talking about um, Islam and uh, the, how the, the huge significance of water within the religion. And actually, when you start to really start to see, and then, of course, the Vedic way, you know, Lord Krishna, he said, I am the taste of water. So um, you, when you can have all these different religions and different cultures and ancient wisdoms, and we have Kalani, of course, coming on, my brother from another mother who is a... Um, he's he's, also a, he's, he's, he's he, fantastic. He is. Uh, he's, from, he's a Hawaiian elder. Um, so when you have everybody coming together in the name of water and everybody is sort of saying such similar things, there is this kind of change that happens because we're so interested in like what type of water to drink what uh restructuring unit shall we use and blah 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 all these things but we haven't really asked what is water what is water and right. it's a very big question 
I I could not agree more. I truly so much. I, I want to thank you so much for coming on, Veda. This has been uh, an incredible, even for myself, because nothing that, you know, you don't tell me beforehand what we're doing. I say, as always, go with what you feel is appropriate. And this has been an incredible, incredible time uh, recording this as well. So I want to thank you very much. And I want to encourage everyone uh, in my audience, whether members and when this goes public, uh, to please check out Veda's masterclass, her work, uh, and all of that. And to everyone, we will catch all of you very, very soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dave.